and welcome to We Are History, the most laughable attempt at a podcast on the World Wide Webnet. I'm John O'Farrell <laughs> and my partner in crime is... Hello, I'm Angela Barnes. TV's Angela um, Barnes. TV's Angela Barnes. TV's John O'Farrell. Once upon a time, grumpy old men. People used to shout, Oi, grumpy! Out of lorries. I would, still I'd do go, not, I've done other things, you know. to do with the TV I've books. I've, I've set up a school. I've, I've you know... In musicals, oh, he is grumpy. Listen how grumpy he is. God, he is grumpy. <laughs> You're one of the least grumpy people I oh, know, John. You. That's thank the you. funny thing about it. I was 39 about. when I was first in that show. Grumpy old men. Yeah, you I were 39. 39. Yeah. I had no idea it was going to be God, so big, is that actually. show that old? Yeah, well, um, thank you for thinking. Yeah, it's 20 years ago. Well, is it really 20 years old? That yeah, I, yeah. I, in my head, that was sort of in the last five years that was on telly. I know. Well, it's endless. It probably was. It's, in, it's on well, day yeah. most nights, I think. <laughs> But anyway, we're talking about me again. Anyway. What about you, TV's Angela Barnes? Mock the week. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Just mock the week. No, you had lots of things. <laughs> what else are you in, Angela? What else? Uh, what else pops up? World's Greatest Body Shockers on Channel 5. Did that once for the money. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Although I did refuse. I, I have a point of um, pride in that show, John, because I uh, it was called World's Greatest Body Shockers and it was all about people with weird piercings and oh, yeah. body modification and stuff. And you, I don't know if you've done these clip shows. They like sit you in a room, you know, yeah. yeah, and they just show you a load of clips and you say stuff about yeah, them. Yeah. And then the director showed me a picture of Angelina Jolie's knees, right? right. And they were a little bit saggy and she wanted me to comment oh, on that. Like... And I went, I'm not, that's not body modification. That's just aging. Just like that's just somebody's... Be... Uh, Hello magazine, not... or yeah. Chat yeah, magazine. So I stood my ground on Good that for you. one. John. I did one once about punk, and the producer said mm. to me, "Would you say that it had got to? I mean, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but would you say it had got to the point where it was almost like there were no more heroes?" And she, oh my <laughs> she wanted God. me to just oh, that... do that on camera so they could then <laughs> cut in no more heroes, and oh, I just went. God. It got to the stage where there were no more heroes and something better changed and everyone was pretty vacant and teenage kids were hard to get. And uh, they didn't use it. But then I saw another second-rate celeb like me saying exactly like, and it was almost saying completely sincerely, it was almost like we got to the point where there were no more heroes. No more heroes. Okay, she got someone to do it. Oh, God. I needed the money, John. I was young and needed the money. God, we're chatting away. We haven't introduced. We're talking about show business today. Oh, yeah. This yes, week's we are podcast talking about is showbiz. about show business. Um, Angela has uh, selected this subject and we are going way back in time. Well, John, I thought, you know, you're a bit of an old thesp, aren't you? I and have trodden the boards. I have, I have, yes. given Child actor. That's the reason in... that Angela's chosen this one. So she it can is. take the piss out of me for being a child actor. 100%. I love <laughs> the idea of you as a child actor, John. I love that you were in a film with Diana Dawes. I'm going to send you a picture now of me in, in a, as a child actor. So... Oh, oh you can, we have live on. Oh, we'll tweet this out, won't we? When yeah, oh, yeah. let me see. Oh, look at you! <laughs> that's oh, on... that's it. Those socks, that's John. They look. are something else. <laughs> who was playing Winnie the Pooh? A guy called Ronald Rad, who uh, we don't really remember very much. I have to say, right? Yeah, I've got a photo somewhere, and I will try and dig it out of me dressed as Winnie the Pooh for a thing at school. We could have been a double act. A school play. We could have been a double act, but also my costume was way better than this guy's. <laughs> way better. The one my mum made was way better than his. Um, I'm sending you another one see... now, and this is me in the horror movie <laughs> from Beyond the Grave. John, you look like you're in a boy band. Oh, thank you. Look I'll take that as a compliment. 
Were you asked? How old were you there? Uh, I was 11 those, there. Those collars. Yeah, it was filmed at Shepparton. I got a chauffeur-driven Bentley, picked me up every day from home and take me to Shepparton Studios. Diana Dawes was my mum. Ian Bannon was my dad. I killed them both with voodoo. What was the film called? It's called From Beyond the Grave. And um, I wasn't allowed to see it because it was an ex. It was an 18. But if you see that film now, Diana Dawes is this like working class mum. And I made this very interesting acting choice of being a posh kid from Maidenhead. Strangely, the accent, <laughs> the accent I chose for that was like, Cap at school says he knows a man who sells matches by the station and he has a Rolls Royce. That's basically how I talk. That's how all kids talk, though, when they are acting in the 70s, right? What I'm always interested in with child actors is... Because there's a lot of controversy. Obviously now, like, you have to have a licence, you have to be well chaperoned. Yeah, How much were you protected from the fact it was a horror film? You had to have a chaperone, you had to have... My mum was my chaperone on that one. Mm. But uh, when I was in um, TV shows or when we did West End stuff, I always had a chaperone with me and they were sort of of basically your right-hand person. And were you sort of protected from the theme of the film if it was a horror? Were you sort uh, of... No, because we were on set. Nobody told me they were going to put this great gash across the, my dad's head and he was going to fall across the wedding cake. I mean, probably if I'd read the script, I might have known that. But, uh, you know, it was a voodoo theme and there was a murder yeah. and stuff. And they came put tear drops in my eyes and I had to pretend to cry that my mum had been killed and stuff, even though I'd done it. I can't Very believe I haven't watched this yet. I'm going to watch that tonight. <laughs> from Beyond the Grave. It's a portmanteau film. So, I mean, like one of the stories. So it's like four stories. If you see the one with Diana Dawes, I think it might be the second one. That's the one with me. But yeah, a very moving performance from young John O'Farrell, which is why he went on to be such a major movie star, you know, and West End (laughs) leading man. So it was because of your child actor credentials, John, that I chose this story. Well, I sort of stumbled across this story because I'm a nerd. I was just reading a history magazine. As you do. As you do. And I came across this story and I thought, oh, I want to do that because of John's background. But also it was something I had no idea about. So I'm going to take you back. It is 1600. Yes. It is still pretty early days of the English Protestant Reformation. Queen Elizabeth, is, uh, Elizabeth I, obviously. I know our queen's been there a while, but, <laughs> yeah, not, but not that, that long. long. Yeah, she's <laughs> towards the end of her reign, isn't it? Towards the end of her last days yeah. of Queen Elizabeth. That's right. So she's been on the throne since 1558, which whenever I say that she's been on the throne since 1558, I want to say she must have piles or something, but uh, yeah, I've said you. it now. Let's raise the tone, anyway. Angela. Let's try and oh, talk. Yes. Let's talk about theatre um, now, darling. William Shakespeare's at the height of his fame. The Globe Theatre had opened a year previously in 1599 by his company, The Lord Chamberlain's Men. Indeed. So theatre's popular in London at yeah. this point. It's a popular pastime for the masses. And... Two of the Globe shareholders were the Burbage brothers. You might have heard of Richard Burbage um, was the actor. But there was Charles and Cuthbert and their father, James Burbage. So there's this Burbage dynasty in the theatre. And they bought another theatre called the Blackfriars Theatre, which was Blackfriars at the time was a very sort of posh, well-to-do part of London. Okay. Not south um, of the river like the Globe. Not south of the river like the Dirty Globe. And yeah. their, their theatre, Blackfriars Theatre, was a bit different to the Globe because it was undercover, whereas the Globe was open air. The elements, right. So they had candlelight and stuff, yeah. Yeah. Now, theatre in, in those days, John, in the Elizabethan period, a little bit different to the sort of middle-class pursuit it is today. We've all seen... Well, I'm middle-class, so I go to the National. <laughs> 
Yes, darling, I am. Um, it was a lot more rowdy, you know, yeah. working classes would go to the theatre. They were encouraged to join in a bit. You know, they would throw things, they would misbehave. All sorts of vice went on at the theatre, John. Yeah, I mean, it seemed to me that it was all classes, actually, because you had the posh people as well would pay to sit mm. on the stage and sort of uh, pose and sort of mm. uh, ad lib and stuff. So you had the sort of cheap seats with everyone, well, cheap seats, the standing and then you had yeah. places where, uh, but it was also a place to be seen if you were a bit of a dandy and a bit of a show off. Oh, absolutely. And what you said about sitting on the stage, that's the thing now, we can't get our heads around, but you would, like the most expensive tickets, you would sit on the stage with the players yeah. and you would talk to them. You would interrupt the it's flow like, of the play. You would that? join like in. When you're doing your stand up, it's bad enough with a heckler. Right. Imagine if they were like, I'm just going to sit next to Angela while she's doing her gig and say exactly. unfunny things and yeah, I've just, paid for the right just to do be, it. Just speak to her before the punchline. I love it when that happens, John. <laughs> we not... just come up to the punchline and someone says something inane from the audience. It's exactly right. It's the best thing. Oh, God. I mean, bit. can you imagine if you were the writer sitting in the audience? So, I mean, we had our, oh. our Shakespeare musical that we did in New York. And there's this mm. one joke which goes, uh, they, they got this um, got this money from this guy and he's going... He's, you can't have this guy as a patron. It's illegal. He goes, he's not a patron. He's producing money for the production to get it produced. So we call him a, well, we haven't got a name for it yet. And he goes, uh, he's producing money for the production to get it produced. And this woman in the front row goes, a producer. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> it's like, Shut up. <laughs> I love it. Who is it? I think I'm going to do a name drop here. I'm pretty sure it was Jason Manford who told me this story, but I'm, I might be wrong. But about going, they went to see Billy Joel, right? And Billy Joel's playing all his hits and stuff. And he's doing his encore. And um, he hasn't done Piano Man yet. Right. right? So they're like, okay, so obviously. Good. And apparently the encore, like the lights had all gone off. The lights come back on. And there's just a piano in the middle of the room with the light shining on it. Right. It's pretty obvious what's coming do. next. And someone from the crowd just shouts out, do Piano Man. <laughs> it's like, as if that's not what was about to happen. Oh, he picked up on the hints. What could it yeah, mean? Yeah, well done. Aren't you clever? <laughs> oh, God. So children actors. Tell us about children actors in Elizabethan so, theatre. Anyway. one of the things we know, I think, about Elizabeth, it was fairly well known, is that women weren't allowed to perform in Elizabethan theatre. In Shakespeare's time, the parts of women were often played by sort of slightly more effeminate men uh, or boys whose voices yeah. had not yet broken. But what's less well known is there was a bit of a fashion around this time in the early 1600s for boys companies right so entire theater companies made of of Young boys boy. whose voices hadn't broken and elizabeth the first she loved them wow. right she loved boys companies and they would often perform at court and they sort of grew out of companies of choristers so there was several courtly choirs so you'd have the uh, the chapel royal choir and st paul's choir yeah. that would perform at court and it all started by they would also do these little religious plays that the boy choristers would do. And Queen Elizabeth was quite famous for, she loved a bit of elaborate entertainment. Yes. Right? Her court went down in history. That she loved spectacles, pageants, masks, acrobatics, a little bit of bear baiting. Love a bit of bear baiting. You know? Love a bit. I'd watch the Royal Variety performance if it was Jason Manford hosting bear baiting <laughs> from the Palladium. And they'd go on for weeks, these yeah. shows, like weeks. And the, the court would become like a luxury hotel and it was just a big old yeah. to-do. Sorry to interrupt you there, but the, yeah. just one of the research I did about this period is that there was a competition for the use of the theatres and the people who owned the theatres like, well, you could put your play on Shakespeare, mate, but I've got if I put bear baiting on, I'm going to get more yeah. bigger crowd in. 
So a bear being ripped apart by dogs or Hamlet, you know, I've got to make a financial decision there. That's it. <laughs> and now, of course, the, the the sort of modern equivalent of that is, yeah, I could put on your play that no one's seen, or I could put on this ABBA tribute band. Exactly. That will play to sold out houses or for a friends of mine were starting to set, setting up a theatre company. And when they were starting out, they were playing, you know, the it would be the Arts and Leisure Centre in Kidlington or whatever. And he'd have to yeah. make a choice between, well, if I are you going to get an audience? Because... I could have half the leisure centre, your play, and let the badminton courts carry on next to you. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. have the rock climbing. The rock climbers normally are Tuesday nights. So if you're booked for Tuesday nights, if you're not getting an audience, I'm letting the rock climbers in. And this was yeah, things yeah. that used to happen to them. They'd have the they'd have um, the badminton happening whilst they were performing. Sorry, do continue, Angela. Yeah, so Queen Elizabeth loved having these big shows. It must have been quite... Well, it must be quite frightening to perform for Queen Elizabeth, yeah. but then I think it's mainly because I base everything I know about Queen Elizabeth on Miranda Richardson's portrayal in Blackadder. You've done your history <laughs> research, Angela. You've watched Blackadder. That's good enough for me. Um, she really loved the boy companies. Right. Um, so the entertainment at court often involved young boys, be it in the form of choristers from St Paul's or Chapel Royal. Yeah. They do these little religious plays. And she loved them so much that there were more child actors that performed for her court than adult actors. Wow. Now, in the commercial theatre at this time, theatre's moving away from the church, right? It'd always been, you know, theatre sort of grew up from religious plays. Well, I suppose the Catholic Um, Church was very showy and very sort of um, uh, glittering costumes, and there was a move against the... um, uh, all the artifice and the incense mm. and the glittery well, sh- uh, show business of the Catholic Church, so that maybe they had to separate those two out a bit. Exactly, we're talking sort of in the half a century yeah. after the Reformation, and the yeah. and the Puritans were taking hold. You know, and of yeah. course, you can listen to what happened next with that on our podcast about Oliver Cromwell. So, theatre becomes this lucrative commercial venture, and there was loads of money to be made in theatre because there was nothing else to do. John, no Netflix, no Netflix. What no, are you going to do? Yeah. Um, you know? No, no, no public sport, of course. No sort of football matches. No, no, no football yeah. matches. No. So crowds gathering and going ooh and ah at the Globe and the Swan or the Rose Theatre. These were, you know, watch the movie Shakespeare in Love. It's a great reminder of what it was like back then. So these boys that performed in these religious plays and choirs and stuff, yeah. the theatre companies liked them because they were very skilled at arousing sort of pathos and emotion with these unbroken, sweet voices that they had. So they appealed to these secular sort of commercial theatre companies as well. And also, of course, John, with boys, you don't have to pay them. Oh, no. Same with the lad who does my chimney. Yeah, see? There you go. So Shakespeare, for example, his companies did use boy actors. The yeah. sort of more mainstream companies did use them, but they had them on a sort of apprentice basis, like like the guilds would have right. apprentices. So you would be assigned a master actor and you would learn from him and then eventually you would become an adult actor oh, if you okay. made the great. Wasn't all as nice as that, was it? It wasn't. So let's go back to this Blackfriars Theatre, right, that the Burbages owned. The intention was that the Lord Chamberlain's Men Shakespeare's Company would play at the Blackfriars Theatre. It'd be a nice winter venue. But the well-to-do locals decided it's all very well to have the theatre down on the South Bank, but they didn't want it on that. Not in my backyard, John. Nimbies they were. The NIMBYs, because it was in a posh neighbourhood and the locals thought, well, they don't want these companies of rowdy, destructive actors you know, coming and getting drunk and and messing up the place, you know. So the Burbages were forbidden for using the venue for commercial theatre in that way. Step forward, 
Henry Evans. Oh, tell me about him. Henry Evans, pretty ruthless, money-grabbing theatre impresario. Not really interested in theatre as an art form, more how he can make money out of it. A sort of Lloyd Webber of his day. That's a and very that's harsh mean, slur on Sir Andrew. It's me. Maybe Bill Kenwright. I don't know. Maybe These are all uh, wonderful theatre-lovey people. Cameron all McIntosh. In my I don't know. One of them. One of them. <laughs> I, I know you can't slag any of them off because you write musicals. <laughs> <laughs> I'm basically going to be needing these guys for a theatre at some point. So exactly. <laughs> so uh, I said all that. I'm backing up this lane. I'm reverting fast. <laughs> so what Henry Evans does, right, he's a businessman, essentially, first. Yep. So he leases the theatre at Blackfriars from the Burbages. Right. And he sets it up as a boys' company. Now, okay. the locals are all right with this because boys don't drink or womanise. Okay. Right? And they had a bit of class. Okay. And the plays they staged at Blackfriars Theatre weren't billed as anything as vulgar as a commercial play. They sold tickets, but they were sold as if they were coming to watch a rehearsal for a private show. With these I've got a bad young feeling about boys, this, Angela. Right. Oh, John. Henry Evans goes into partnership with a man called Nathan Giles. Right. right. Now, there's a good reason he's chosen Nathan Giles to go into partnership. Because what does a boy company need, John? Boys, miss. Needs boys, right? And Giles, Nathan Giles, he was the master of the boy choristers at the Chapel Royal. So he has access to boys. So it might be worth mentioning at this point a little bit about childhood in, in Elizabethan. Yeah, it was a bit different. It wasn't, you know, there, there were no such thing as children's rights. A third of the population of London were under 15. Wow. And they were put to work from as soon as they, from the age of seven, you were put to work, right? Or you were, um, you joined a band of vagrants and pickpockets and worked the streets or whatever. This is if you're, you know, not... Down at the posh. lower end of the scale. So there's no the sense of... The lower end of the scale. I mean... So only, yeah. only the richest boys were educated, were sent to school. Right. And so kids grew up very fast. They were like, there's no... Yeah. You weren't hidden or protected. There was no, no sort of like, you know, oh, you're going to be all right with the babysitter, darling. It was like, get out there and work and, you know, all the ugly, were... ugly side of life where you were exposed to all of it. Yeah, you were... You were just a smaller version of an adult, yeah, really. Yeah. There was no protecting them from, you know, protecting their innocence or any of that stuff. And so a lot of what I'm about to say sounds pretty terrible, and it was pretty terrible, but also at the time, I mean, this is a this is a culture which sort of glorified violence yes, way more than we do. You know, public executions and things, you know, children would watch those. Rich burnings, bear baiting, yeah. Yeah, you know, so it's a different time, John, is what I'm different saying. Time. Sort of it's all a different time. Podcast, isn't it, really? Different time. <laughs> <laughs> it sort of keeps coming up, this. If we got a pound for every time we mentioned a different time, we might make some money in this podcast. Yeah, right. um, <laughs> be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> so what I hadn't realised until I started reading more about this is there'd been a long-standing tradition of using impressment to recruit choristers. Now, impressment, you've probably heard of it mostly in a military context, right? Oh, that for the Navy and that, press gang. Forced recruitment of labour, basically. Right. Um, so these so kids were press ganged into the choirs. They were press ganged into choirs for cathedrals and the court That's chapels. Insane. So the most prestigious choirs, the right. choir masters would be given a royal warrant Right. To impress children. So don't right? walk down a so, dark lane with a fluffy white ruff and a red cloak singing Ave Maria because you <laughs> they're going to get you. It's like yeah. well, they were basically they could go into schools, institutions, churches, whatever, and impress the best singers, the best boys for their choirs. So their families had no say in it. It was completely legal. 
um, which is it's hard for us to get our head around. But actually, for many families, it was seen as a privilege if your child was press ganged into the royal chapel choir. Right. So it wasn't always violent. It might be like, it wasn't we want always, that kid oh, no, there. no. We want no, that kid was... there and they were like, oh, that's a good opportunity for you, Jasper. You could go and be in the choir. Or exactly. sometimes it was violent yourself. Yeah, well, I mean, sometimes for the families, it was a financial relief. You right. know, that was one less mouth for them to have to feed okay. if they were going to be taken care of by the chapel royal. And it meant the boys were getting an education, which they might not have got. Some of the boys that were impressed, you know, they, yeah. they would potentially have a job. And to sing for God and oh, the yeah. Queen was a big honour, right, in this religious society where childhood isn't childhood. So these children were trafficked about, like, pawns and it's likely they weren't treated particularly well there's some reports of them being chained up or you know but that's just how it was <laughs> now henry evans knew that nathan giles had this warrant where he was allowed to impress children for the chapel choir so he thought if i go into business with him that warrant means i can impress children for the boys theater company ah. Oh, that's dodgy. Right. Now, the warrant was about choirs, yeah. yeah. He's allowed to get them for the choir so I can get them for my funny show. For my commercial venture that's nothing to do with the church. Right. Right? And that's what he did. They went into partner together and they used his warrant as a way to impress children, take them from their families yeah. and say, it's legal. You've got no, uh, Come back. no way of challenging this. Yeah. I'll say, as auditions go, Angela... It's not the worst. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've both, yeah. we've both been in show business. We must have, <laughs> you must have had some auditions worse than being bashed over the head in the street. Oh, my God. There's some auditions where I think I'd much rather they just kidnapped me from the street and gave me the job. Um, definitely. When I was a child, Angela, <laughs> then uh... I had to go out on this rickety old stage and I had this song I'd sing. There'd be some old bloke with a fag out of his mouth at the piano. And what, <laughs> What's your name, dear? John O'Farrell. What are you going to sing for us, John? Going to sing Little Boy Fishing. And they go, plinky, plonk, plink. And I go, Little Boy <gasps> Fishing off a wooden pier. Come fish, swim, fish, swim along here. Pathetically, <laughs> I still remember my audition song for Winnie the Pooh. That's so adorable. So when I was, my first words on stage, I had to go on, I was just a big, a thousand seater Phoenix Theatre in the West End of London. Spotlight, <gasps> I walk on in my shorts, as you've seen for the picture, which we're going to tweet out. <laughs> And I had to, my first words were, I had to sing, wherever I go, there's always poo. Always poo. <laughs> there's always poo and me. And that's sort of been the theme of my career, really. <laughs> I had to read that at a friend's wedding. That poem? That poem. Wow. I, um, oh, I could have given yeah, you a tune to say it to. Reading. And, and wherever I go, there's always poo is the first line. Yeah. And I just got, it was in a, it was a church wedding. We <laughs> were getting up. And that's the first, you can see people looking at me and then they're like, the relief when it's oh, like, she's got, oh, an okay, so she's, she's got an eight. She's better I see, read. I see where she's going with this now. <laughs> yes. Wherever I go, there's always poo, there's always poo and me. But yeah. I wasn't press ganged. I was taken by my mum to the audition and... Uh, <laughs> There was no, so your mum press ganged There were, there were you. a few mums there who were like press ganging their own children into theatre. I will say that. <laughs> so what happened then when these kids got? So well, it was a win-win situation for Henry Evans here because he either got this free boy labour, yeah, or the parents would bribe him not to take their children into the theatre, and he would have revenue from the bribes. Right. That sounds like nothing can go wrong. They would target educated boys from wealthier families a because they had money to bribe them not to do it yeah and b because at this time the the boys would have been so these are you know educated middle class 
upper class boys. They would be taught Latin at school and they would also be taught voice. Voice was really important part of education then, like reading, writing and speaking. Okay. Oratory was really important. So they would have nice voices. They would be taught how to speak iambic verse. So their parents would either have to suck it up and let their boy go to the theatre or they could afford to pay a bribe to get their son back. But one day, John, one day, they kidnapped the wrong boy. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun. So it's 13th of December, 1600, little Thomas Clifton. Uh, he was 13 years old and he was making his way to Christchurch School, which was half a mile away from where he lived. So it's just a half a mile walk. She's not in Quavers, and bottle of pop. She's not, yeah, that's right. And um, he was the only son of a, of a good family, right? And he attended grammar school, as all posh people do, John, including me. Comprehensive boy, me. We didn't have a grammar hey, school in Berkshire. I tell you what, if you ask people which one of us went to a grammar school and which one was comprehensive <laughs> educated, they would get that wrong, wouldn't they? But um, I just have to say, my school was a state school. I know, of course I it was. It was Kent. They've still got Kent. bloody grammar schools in Kent. Kent. still got grammar schools in Kent, yep. So, um, out of nowhere. Out of nowhere, a man appears and violently seizes the boy and drags him away. Wow, right? showbiz. Showbiz. So... Why has he been kidnapped? Well, the Blackfriars Theatre's boys' company, Henry Evans' company, has an important gig coming up. Well, fair enough. They are going to be performing to Queen Elizabeth I at court. And the play they're performing is a Ben Johnson play, not the runner who got done for drugs in the 1988 Olympics, but the the playwright. His satirical comedy, Cynthia's Revels. Oh, yeah, about her sweets. Yeah, she had a whole bag of Revels, Cynthia. Yes, right, yeah. She didn't like the coffee ones. That's the, yeah. And um, the play was especially written for the boys' company. Uh, Ben Johnson was very involved with the company. In fact, when one of the boys died at age 13, he wrote the eulogy for him. Salomon Pavey, the boy's name was. Anyway, one theory of why he worked with the boys' company so much is that it was much easier to hide sort of subversive ideas in plain sight in a way that you couldn't with adults. If you've got a sort of satirical line or a barbed comment, if the child doesn't understand what they're saying, it's it's a much more innocent face. uh, Exactly. And they're not sort of, you know, giving a big old theatrical wink at the um, courtiers as they're saying it, you know. And, And just their inherent innocence meant he could get away with saying things that weren't very innocent. So they had this gig coming up. They were doing this Ben Johnson play for the Queen and they needed boys who were good enough. There's not many records about what happened to Thomas Clifton. They don't seem to be any records that say why they chose him off the street, whether they had previous knowledge of him, whether he just looked right and so they plucked him off the street or what, we don't really know. What we do know is he was taken to Blackfriars Theatre. He was given a script and was told that he'd be whipped if he didn't learn it. Right. Got to motivate the kids. Just walking to school, minding his own business. Next thing he knows, he's been scooped up, taken to a theatre, told to learn a script or else. Or get whipped. Now, his father, Henry Clifton, obviously his son's not come home from school. Yeah. So he's worried. And uh, again, we don't know how he knew where he'd been taken. Those lovey kidnappers. Exactly. <laughs> those, those famous lovey kidnappers. So uh, he went to the theatre to get his son back. But Evans and Giles, what did they have, John? They've got the warrant. Got the legal got, royal got the warrant. Law on their side. They're allowed to do this because he's a chorister press ganger. Right. So Henry Clifton has to just go home 
without his son. So his wife goes, did you pick up our boy who's been kidnapped? Oh, I couldn't because, oh, he had this bit of paper. And, uh, exactly. You what? Go and get the son. No, I can't because he said he's chorister. <laughs> got a royal warrant. The Queen signed it and everything. What can I do? Oh, my so, God. So uh, we'll take a little break here while John practices I Am Beat Verse for an audition you got this afternoon, haven't you, John? That's right. Uh, I've got some. I've got a sonnet I want to read to you. So um, yeah, yeah, lovely. Um, so <laughs> yes, well, and we'll find out what happened to uh, little Thomas. I'm worried. Little Thomas Clifton. Little Thomas Clifton, and we'll come back after this break. Hello, and welcome back to the second half. We're talking about children in the theatre in Elizabethan England and the kidnap of Thomas Clifton. Angela, what was your first time on stage as a child? Oh, I can tell you this. My first time on stage was um, in The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Oh, wow. Were you Mickey Mouse? No, I played the bottom half of a broomstick. Um, <laughs> you weren't even a whole and, broomstick. <laughs> no, because the broomstick splits in two, ah. right, in The Sorcerer's Apprentice. But I remember I was the bottom half and Philip Butler was the top half. Yeah. And he was really jealous because I got the bristles. Ah, uh, yeah. He was he was just a stick. Yeah, yeah. You gave Maidstone School... Your Sidcup school or whatever. I gave your... I gave Eastborough County Primary School my finest Bristle. half a broomstick. <laughs> and the I reviews. played um, I played reviews? Winnie the Pooh. Did you play Winnie the Pooh? It was the story where he eats all the honey and gets stuck Dark in the rabbits. Going to see rabbit, rabbit hole. Story. Yeah, we had that. Yeah, night, so. and I had to be pulled out of the rabbit hole. I remember playing uh, Pandora in Pandora's box. Wow. And Ian Russell played my husband, who had to pretend to slap me, and he didn't pretend on oh, the Oh really? Night. Yeah. Yeah, it gave me a right slap across the chops. Oh my god! Um, I did quite a lot of drama in the in secondary school and um, played Benjamin the donkey in Animal Farm. Oh, okay. Mm. I went off and did drama at university, and it was all bloody standing around in black polo net, black leotards, pretending, <laughs> pretending to, be to be a tree. Yeah, it was sort of, you know, uh, be the nuclear winter, you know, not gags that I was really sort of designed for. Yeah. When I was uh, Christopher Robin, uh, a, a young Wayne Sleep was Tigger. Oh, really? He did fantastic dancing. And we had uh, the guy from uh, Are You Being Served was Eeyore, the uh, Captain Peacock. Oh, wow. I remember once coming out of theatre with my mum and there's a couple going, what time does the show start? To each other. Three o'clock. My mum goes, oh, I do hope you enjoy it. Oh, are you going to see it as well? No, my son's in it, actually. <laughs> And they said, oh, we're going to see uh, Wind in the Willows up the road. They won't even go to our show. (laughs) You had a proper stage, Mum, John. I love it. Yeah. Lots of very pushy parents when I was um, a child actor, but no child was actually bashed over the head with a um, truncheon and uh, a sack over the head and dragged to be uh, (laughs) into the Red Roofs Theatre School where I went. So what happened to Mm. Thomas Clifton then? What's he been kidnapped? So he's been snatched off the streets. His father, Henry, is concerned for his son's welfare. And it's, it's, well, it's suggested in quite a few things that I've read that he wasn't so much concerned about his son's welfare um, as he was for uh, the the sort of how it looked in a family to have a son go into the theatre. Bloody snobs. Because they, you know, they, yeah, they were a well-to-do family and he was the only son. So the only son and heir. Yeah. So his life, Thomas Clifton, was pretty mapped out for him. You know, he's going to go to school, become a lawyer or some other professional. And it wasn't in his father's plans for his only son to, well, I say run away and join the theatre, yeah, to be away. press ganged into the... And it wasn't, you know, while people enjoyed going to the theatre, the actor's life wasn't one that you aspired to if you were a 
well-to-do person. It was seen as a sort of drunken, debauched... I mean, sounds great. Sounds, but, sounds good. Sounds um, like, yeah. Yeah. And also, while this boys' company was seen as being particularly subversive, you know, while you had Shakespeare that was doing stuff that appealed to the masses, a bit yes. more broader appeal, all this political and satirical stuff the boys' company were doing, you know, if you were a well-to-do family with friends in high places, you probably didn't want your kids involved in that. It's your own reputation, you know. The thing I would say about all of this, I think there seems to be something very dodgy at the heart of all Mm. this, that people were very attracted to the idea of young boys performing Mm -hmm. adult parts on stage, dressing as women on stage, and um, Mm -hmm. they found it very erotically charged, I would say, to see young uh, prepubescent boys acting out adult themes. Would that be a fair comment? Yeah. I mean, there's, again, there's few records, but it's sort of suggested that there's a potential that these boys were exploited not only on stage, but But off off stage as well. Um, Again, I mean, the boys were sort of between 10 and... 13, 14 years old. At this time, the, the one thing to remember is, you know, boys could get married at 14, girls at 12. 12. Um, so that it was a very, again, different time. However, that doesn't make the kidnapping of boys from the street, you know, with the likely potential they were sexually exploited any more palatable, really. No. But, you know, especially to our sort of modern... Well, I'm not sure at the time, but if you were kidnapped and sexually exploited at the age of 12, you go, yeah, but we could do that at the moment because it's different times. I was in different times. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah, exactly. It's not like, oh, that made it okay, you know, and and we we don't really know what happened to those boys, but the suggestion is because those parts were written... You know, the parts that were written as women were written for boys playing women. Yeah, they were so written that way. Weird, they were written it? to be um, very erotically charged and very sexual, you know, for young boys though, isn't it? If you Think about sort of Portia in uh, Merchant of Venice. She's a, so it would have been a man, a boy, playing a woman who mm-hmm. then disguises herself as a man to go to court. Right. It's like to play, you know, Balthazar. It's like... Or very meta. Well, I mean, Shakespeare himself was not a fan of the boy companies. Really um, good old Shakespeare. Well, I don't think it was a moral objection so much as probably a financial one because they were taking a lot of his business right. because they People were so popular. See the boys dressed up as ladies than his. Yeah, absolutely. They were a bit more fun than watching. Um, so, Henry so how do we know? Whatever, you know? Did, he, did he refer so, to it? Well, he does make a little dig at them um, in Hamlet. Oh yes. So yes. in Act Two, Scene Two of Hamlet, there's a troop of travelling players visiting Hamlet in Denmark, and they're there because. The popularity of the boy companies in London has forced them out of London, right? So they have to travel Europe instead. Right. So that's one little comment. Or, you know, the whole fact they're there is because these boy companies have... And Rosencrantz sort of has a sneer about them. And and the line is, John, it's very witty. The line is, there is, sir, an area of children, little Iases, and Ias is an untrained hawk, uh, little Iases that cry out on top of the question... No, that oh, cry out on the top of the her of the so you can tell I fucked it up hang on let me try again <clears throat> there is sir an area of children at little Iases that's untrained hawks right that cry out on the top of question and are most tyrannically clapped for it apparently that's very witty <laughs> that's very I good. know that's very good Angela I mean, I wouldn't open with it, John, but you know. I had to find a joke for our Shakespearean musical, a Shakespearean joke. So I opened yeah. uh, Romeo and Juliet, which is the play they were talking about at the time. And on page one of Romeo and Juliet, it goes, no, we could not carry coals, for then we would be colliers. It's like, oh, that's brilliant, Will. That's such a great joke, mate. <laughs> well we done, could not mate. carry coals, because then we'd be colliers. It's like, 
Shakespearean comedies are not funny, Angela. I'm going to go out on a limb here. Yeah, I'm with you, John. I'm with you. And, and the fact that you have to work, they go, no, no, if you read, read the read subtitles, the you go, well, if I have to work hard, then it's not a joke. <laughs> you should have footnotes have for to, your... If I have to do the background reading to get it, then Try that's that on a failure. You wouldn't last very exactly. long. Exactly. You go exactly. forward 60 years, dare I say it, but some of the uh, restoration comedies in uh, King Charles II's mm. time, they are quite funny. So it's, it's, it's weird mm. how our humour sort of uh, evolves over that century. But Shakespeare. And I wonder if not yeah, a reaction to that Puritanism maybe is to just yeah. yeah anyway, this joke aside, anyway. it shows that Shakespeare disapproved. Yeah, I said earlier that Henry Evans and Nathan Giles have picked the wrong boy when yeah. they kidnapped the Thomas Clifton, and this is why because Henry Clifton turns out had friends in high places, and one of those friends was a man called Sir John Fosterkew. Now, there's no record particularly in, in why Sir John Fosterkew decided to help him. But he had previously been master of the revels, whose job it would have been uh, was basically a censorship job, you know, would have um, said who was allowed to perform in theatres and what was licensed and what right. wasn't, etc. Um, but he was now at this point, he was the Chancellor of the Exchequer. Right. So big deal. And he agreed to help Henry get his son back. So he gave him a release warrant. OK, a legal document. Right? A legal document. So the next day, Henry Clifton was able to go back to Blackfriars Theatre and slap that down on the table and go, right, I see your impressment warrant and I raise you a release warrant, give me my son back. And so that was enough. And that's what he did. Right, okay. So they had no legal reason to keep Thomas Clifton anymore and he took his son away, uh, leaving all the other boys there, of course. Of course. Yeah, <laughs> you know, God, his lad. son was fine, but the other boys were all still left to, to their fate. But he didn't leave it there, Henry Clifton. He decided, no, I want retribution for this. I want to build a case against Well, you would be Evans. annoyed, wouldn't you? You'd be annoyed. You would be, yeah. So for the best part of a year, Henry Clifton starts collecting evidence against what was going on at the Blackfriars Theatre. Now, Henry Evans got wind of this, um, we assume, because he started sort of, in a panic, signing over all his belongings to his son-in-law. Never the action of an innocent man. Absolutely. So it's like if he was taken to court, you know, they couldn't take away what wasn't yeah, his. Yeah, his son-in-law's got it all, yeah. Exactly. So the only possession he didn't sign over was the lease of the theatre. Also, at this point, we're now in 1601, Queen Elizabeth has started to clamp down on the misuse of these warrants that she'd signed. So she was starting to become aware that these royal warrants for impressment for children for choirs were being misused. And in fact, in her famous golden speech to Parliament in November 1601, she mentioned the abuses of power that she'd given to these people. So the game was up because I don't mind you banging people over the head to be in the choir, but not to be yeah. in children's not to be filthy actors, not, not into children's film foundation stuff. <laughs> exactly. So 15th of December, 1601, Henry Clifton's bill of complaint was filed at the star chamber. Star John. chamber. That sounds good. It sounds like an ITV show. It, it sounds like a shit entertainment agency, doesn't it? The Star Chamber is where they book cruise singers, but it isn't. The Star Chamber is the highest court of the land at the time. Uh, his complaint doesn't hold back. Uh, he explains what Evans and Giles have been doing. He accuses them of, and I quote, taking children for their own corrupt gain and lucre to furnish <laughs> and maintain a playhouse in the Black Friars. Sort of fair enough. Which is exactly what they were doing. Yeah. And um, he described his son's kidnap. He said with they kidnapped him with great force and violence. Did they seize and surprise the said to uh, Thomas Clifton and did haul, drag and carry him away to the said playhouse? Wow. 
And well, wasn't mucking about. Yeah, didn't he also say that the the boys were in no way fit for singing? Like this was this well, was, this like, was like, the... <laughs> like that's the point. Well, this was the legal point that he because they did have an impressment warrant, right? So his legal point was, you have an impressment warrant for choir boys. However, he basically said, and this is what won him the case: my son Thomas can't sing. <laughs> Oh, that's the point, isn't it? I mean, it's and like... that's a bit of a flaw in a choir. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't mind you bashing kids over their head and dragging them away, but when they're crap singers, that's going too far. Exactly. So you do think, like, poor Thomas Clifton, yeah. Mark, but all right, Dad, I mean, thanks for rescuing me in that, but did you tell her, have to tell everyone that I'm shit at singing? <laughs> <laughs> but that was the legal point that won um, the day. That was the legal point, because his son had been impressed for acting and not singing, and therefore that warrant wasn't legal. Now, there's no records of the actual hearing of the case don't survive, but we know it took place in 1602 and records from 10 years later talk about it and they divulge that Henry Clifton won. Evans was found guilty. Henry Evans was found guilty. He was fined £100. Wow, that's a lot. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands in those days. And the wording of the final verdict, it read, Henry Evans was censured, so found to be at fault for his unorderly carriage and behaviour in taking up gentlemen's children against their will. Gentlemen's children. Well, this is the interesting thing, isn't it? It's, it's sort of not the kidnapping of children per se. <laughs> yeah, no, it's the not, kidnapping of the gentlemen's kids, not the posh children. Kids. Not the kids. Yeah. You can't pick up kids who, who would say things like, Shepherd Squall says he knows a man who sells matches by the station, but he has a Rolls Royce. <laughs> you can have the Cockney kids. But not the little Jello Farrells. Not the Cockney kids, that's not fine. the kids from Wedwoof's Theatre School. <laughs> so, um, so Henry Evans was punished for taking Thomas Clifton, but he wasn't ordered to return any of the other impressed wow. children. They were all allowed to stay. At this point, after the court case, Nathan Giles, the guy who held the warrant, yeah, disassociated going... himself with Evans because uh, he wanted to keep his warrant for the choir. And in fact, when his warrant was up for renewal, so it was reissued in 1606 and it was amended, the wording, to read, none shall be used as comedians or stage players for it is not fit or decent. Absolutely, bloody comedians. So, exactly. so they, they specified on his warrant, this is just for choir boys yeah, now. Lowest of the low those comedians are. Absolutely. But you know, like the practice of choral impressment Lasted another hundred years. Oh, it lasted to the mid eighteenth century. It's um, mad, isn't it? It's is crazy. So um, Queen Elizabeth is dead by sixteen oh six. Of course, she died in sixteen oh three. James the first, the Scottish King, James the sixth of Scotland, comes south. Yeah, and this is the beginning of the end, really, for the boys' theatres. Is it? Um, firstly, because it was Queen Elizabeth who was a big fan of the boys' theatres. Yeah, but also James the first was seen in London as a bit of an outsider, right? He's yeah. from Scotland, and he was far more politically sensitive than Elizabeth had been. Less secure, I suppose, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and the playwrights, they continued to write increasingly satirical plays for these boy actors, and they were critiquing the customs of the court, and they would use stereotypes to mock the Scots, oh, which would never happen today. <laughs> You'd never happen today. You'd never talk about deep-fried food. No, deep-fried um... bars was not a thing back then. They wouldn't, no. they wouldn't make a cliché joke like that. Absolutely. In fact, Shakespeare, to his credit, he wrote Macbeth because everything Scottish was fashionable. And um, he made Banquo innocent of the murder of Macduff. Not Macduff, mm. who's the king? Duncan. Duncan gets killed. Duncan, in, yeah. in history, it's the fault of Macbeth and Banquo. But because James I was a direct descendant of Banquo, he exonerates Banquo of any guilt in that. That's my little A-level fact for you of Macbeth. Yeah, what an 
arse lick. Um, <laughs> he was an arse lick. <laughs> he was an arse lick, Shakespeare. There we are, you heard it here first. Shakespeare, <laughs> nothing but an arse lick. So the king wasn't amused and he really clamped down on, on the playwrights that were offending him. Ben Johnson, who wrote specifically for the boys, his play Eastwood Ho um, was so peppered with sort of anti-Scottish references that they it landed him in prison. That's worse than a bad um, review, isn't it? You're actually, your play so bad you're going to prison. <laughs> Like, so bad. Yeah. In 1608, there was a play in which a king himself was portrayed as this sort of foul-mouthed drunk. And he was so furious, he vowed the boys should play no more. And some of the actual, the boys themselves were put in jail. For playing, a, play. wow, for being in a bad play. For, for play being like. in a play he, he didn't like. He could do that now with Mrs Brown's boys, couldn't he? So you're, <laughs> yeah. he could go to prison. Off the West End of being. go to prison. So, well, the thing is, though, it wouldn't be Mrs. Brown's boys, would it? Because that's Main Street. The public love that, and that's fine. Oh, it would be, be um, it would be some subversive little. Uh, it'd, be like, it'd be the Mash Report. It'd be Mish Kumar in prison, like cancelling the Mash Report, as if they'd ever do that. As if they'd ever do that. <laughs> um, so that was that. Henry Evans. He'd officially left the company after the court case, but. The fact was he still remained involved in all but name and he continued to pay half the rent and receive half the profits. Um, But in the summer of 1608, after the boys' theatre was essentially closed down by the king, uh, he handed Blackfriars Theatre over to Shakespeare's King's Men, um, who at this point opened it as a lovely indoor winter theatre space after freezing their knackers off every winter at the Globe. Fantastic. And Shakespeare, who didn't do this thing, had apprentice boys acting as girls, uh, mm-hmm. women still not allowed on stage for many 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 years after this I'm trying to think when women were allowed on stage I think after the restoration wasn't it it was um, was it that was it that century I think it was right. because... we should know this we should know this before we um... I, I should have reset I, yeah. I did because I did theatre studies for 11 I remember learning all about when was like um, Nell Gwynn and oh um... that's uh, Charles II yeah Charles II so yeah so that would have been yeah, yeah 1660s late... yeah yeah late or mid 17th that's why the plague happened, Angela. That's why the plague mm. in the Great Fire of London, because of the morals of uh, Charles's restoration. Mm. <laughs> God, God yes, wreaked his vengeance. God, yeah, it was God's retribution for women in the theatre, John. That that's it. what you're that saying, it. isn't it? That's what, if, that's if, right. you, if you incur the wrath of God. So what happened to Thomas Clifton? Did he, uh, did he ever want to go back to... Did he like... Oh, you were that kid in that thing. He had the life his father intended for him. He was a gentleman, a father, a lawyer in the heart of the city... Part of me does wonder, because we'll never know, like Thomas Clifton, whether he might have enjoyed theatre life, whether it was actually a life he wanted to be in and, and was taken away from, or whether his, he his was dad glad said, that his father... you're not doing drama at university, you're going to do more. <laughs> do something respectable where you can make an honest living. You do like me, do drama and English. That's a little bit respectable. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're doing law, Thomas. You're going to do the same job as your dad, and we're not going to the and theatre. No panto it. for you. Well, that was yeah. a very interesting tale, Angela. I'm shocked that kids were kidnapped for the theatre and that this was allowed and legal. You weren't too hard on my childhood acting performances, so thank you for being. <laughs> I'll there. wait till we tweet out the pictures, John. <laughs> um, I just—it's the little—it's the—I keep looking at it. They're almost like little lederhosen you're wearing. <laughs> I was also really a thing sweet. called um, Jumbo Spencer. I was one of the bad boys in Jumbo Spencer, and that was like six weeks uh, in Somerset when I was like 13 off school a whole summer in, in Somerset and that was great fun wow on a BBC children's oh. TV thing I really thought I was going to be an actor when I was a kid and then, then yeah. that's wrong with that one it was, it was on telly and I saw myself and I was like oh, I'm not sure I'm that good really <laughs> oh no Oh, yeah, but oh, like, no child. It's very rare that you see a child actor and go, "Oh, they're good." Yeah, yeah. I just sort of 
didn't even think about it but it made me do drama at university and maybe that's why i went into um, writing mm. and entertainment who knows but thank you red roof theater school for for encouraging yeah. me in my 10 year once a week i went for 10 years from 8 to 18 loved it all boys school you see angela so that's the only time i ever saw girls oh yeah of course well this is it so i did drama gcse and a level because we did that with the boys school yeah so yeah so it, it was shows you that the morals <laughs> are still being corrupted by the theater <laughs> everyone don't forget to watch um from beyond the grave i'm gonna find it on youtube and watch john and diana Dawes in their horror film and donald pleasance um, yeah they're all in it and donald wow yeah. right i'm definitely watching that and uh yeah don't forget to tweet us at we are history pod and um, uh, give us good reviews us you bastards review. five stars please yes. <laughs> thank you and uh, we'll see you next time we'll see you next more... week on we are history, history. thanks for listening bye